And there came a day. A day unlike... Wait. No, that's been done. Hmm. Who knows what evil lurks in... No, that is that other thing. What has yellow skin and rights? Ah, forget it. You're listening to Panelology. Excelsior, oh, damn it. Welcome to episode 246 of Panelology. I'm Alex. And I am Brian. How you doing this week? Uh, pretty good. Uh, managed to dodge two different e- potential exposures, so uh, I'm happy. Yeah. Cool. I uh, once again have a car. Oh, my very good. Day, my eight-day-long uh, car-free life ended on Thursday. Yay. And now, you know, not that it matters because you don't can't go anywhere but you know well i do i do have to go to the grocery store i know I, yeah. <laughs> you understand my point though. yeah yeah well no that was me for like the week i'm like i have nowhere to go i shouldn't go anywhere <laughs> but i wish i had the option uh, exactly exactly that's what it boils down to i will say this car has one feature that my last car did not okay that on my 5 a.m grocery run as i do uh-huh. uh was a game changer for me this week with it just below freezing outside and that is a heater well no i don't like seat heaters i find them uncomfortable okay but the steering wheel heater ah was lovely nice yeah very nice uh anyway that is that um it is i would i would call the color of this car fantastic four blue (laughs) i love it less tardis than my old car but more ben grimm's shorts (laughs) there you go and on that note let's talk about some comics i love it yes sir Uh, i have once again put our future state books in chronological order (sighs) and for those of you playing along at home we're also going to try to note which books they take place at the same time as yes just so you can sort of piece it all together yeah, we were we, we chatted for a minute. It, it, they have it, all the information is available out there to do this absolutely, but I, in the books themselves, they're they're not being super, you know, clear about exactly when each of these is taking place. Yeah, you so. you get some context clues. You do, but you do. They're few and far between, and I don't know that they necessarily show how tightly this is actually like constrained to certain points in time. Correct, correct, yep. So, first up, we have Future State, Robin Eternal, number one. Uh, This takes place at the same time as Next Batman and Harley Quinn in 2025. Yep. Written by Megan Fitzmartin, pencils by Eddie Barrows, inker is Hebert Ferreira, colorist is Adriano Lucas, and letterer is Pat Brousseau. And this is uh, actually about three Robins. It focuses on Tim Drake. It does. But we also have former Robin and current, once and future spoiler, uh, Stephanie Brown. Yep. And then another Robin who I actually did not know because I did not read We Are Robin. Um, I, yeah, so uh, only because, like, I was like, I know this character from something. I don't remember why I know this character. 
or I have heard of this character. But yeah, um, yeah. So I I like her though. Yeah. Um. Where is her name? It's Darcy something. Yes. And I can't remember her last name. Um. And she is a deaf superhero. Yes. Or at least has hearing loss. Uh, she has hearing aids that she can hear with. Uh, but she also signs. Yes. And this is about the three of them trying to stop the magistrate from shipping a modified strain of venom, not venom, of Lazarus, Lazarus pit juice. water. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> uh, Lazarus juice. Yes. That makes robots immortal. <laughs> called Lazarus resin. Yeah. Uh, I'm. I'm. Wow. Lazarus is something completely different from what I always understood it to be, because I thought it was, uh, you know, kind of like uh, regenerative of organic tissue, but, you know, hey, comic books. Yeah. Well, this is this is something that's been, like, modified and developed and, like, lab-tested right, right. and yes. all that. Because we see at the beginning of this, uh, Tim and Steph fight. Well, not really out. fight, just, just, just more disagree than fight. I, I, well, I was going to say they fight a robot. Oh, fight a robot. Okay, yeah, yeah. I, yeah I, had, no. I had not made it to the direct object yet. We see them fight a robot uh, that is hulked out on Lazarus Resin. And that robot, they can blow up. Yes. By the end of the issue, you cannot blow up these robots anymore. Yeah, they get, they get the full power stuff. Yeah. Somebody else gets the full powered stuff at the end, too. Yeah, uh, that was an unexpected turn. Uh, and it makes me now think that maybe now i do understand the title of this book well yes i think so a few years back dc did a weekly series for a year called batman eternal which was followed up by a weekly series for six months called robin batman and robin eternal okay so i feel like in part robin eternal is a nod and a wink to that but yes as it turns out that might be more literal as yes. well. I look forward to Immortal Wonder Woman, Diana and Tim hanging out at the end of time <laughs> together. There you go. Fighting, you know, the only one left, I guess, is Vandal Savage. So they... Yeah. Vandal Savage, and I don't know, we'll see how Swamp Thing turns out in yeah, the right, sure. 3000. Uh, no, I, I enjoyed this very much. I, I like, I, I've always liked Tim and Stephanie, and I like this, I like Darcy, this new character. Yeah. Or I say new character, you know, new to the New to us. New to us and, and in recent, you know, uh, stories. But yeah, I like all of these, and this is super, super good. Yep. Two years later, Future State Dark Detective number one. Uh, this is set around the same time as Future State The Flash. Uh, the main feature here, Dark Detective, which is what we'll talk about first, is written by Mariko Tamaki with art by Dan Mora, colors by Jordi Belair, and letters by Aditya Bidikar. Talk about a powerhouse creative team. Wow, no joke. So, this book starts with Bruce Wayne, who everyone believes dead. Yep. Uh, they also all believe Batman dead, and no one's really put two and two together on that. Um, yeah, so I... I, I... Did not look and open this book, turned to this, you know, read the first page, turned to the second page and went, oh, Jordy Belair's coloring this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, apparently one of the, the design notes that was given out to the creative team was, think Blade Runner. 
I, I can totally see that. And specifically in that page that I'm talking about, it's raining. Uh-huh. So everything is kind of blurry, but you get these bright, blurred out, like, Gotham City lights blurred out through the rain. It's gorgeous. I, like, I just love that aesthetic right there. Yes. Uh, oh, yeah, I know the page you're talking about. Yes. Yeah. Um, and this is very much about Bruce just kind of on the run, in hiding, with no resources, trying to push the magistrate out and save his city once again. Yeah, uh, so is this person that he kind of bumps into in the diner, is is this is this just a person that's there that has no, or is, is she going to be more to the story, do you think? You know, I kind of wondered the same thing, because my first thought was, is this someone I'm supposed to recognize? And the only reason I say that is because, it, like, they just the way that she's presented in the panels, right? Like, very prominent, like, you, there's, there's one where she's, like, looking out at you, and it's just super clear that you're supposed to get a really, really good look at her. Yeah, well, and she's also very very recognizably designed yes yeah like the the sleeveless hoodie she's in yep the uh neon yellow uh uh uh, dye in her hair yep like all of that is i think designed so that when we see her again we can recognize her yeah and there's there's some you know she's wearing some sort of distinctive ring Mm -hmm. yeah so I would be surprised if she did not show back up. That's kind of what I was thinking. Yeah, like I don't, is... I don't know that I, I don't know that she's somebody that we're supposed to know from before. But yeah, uh, yeah I definitely think she's going to show up in this story again. This is one of the the four issue books too, so there is a little more room to like yeah. introduce and reintroduce a character. Yeah, yeah. This is the one that has that kind of Gotham City Times Square shot in it. Yeah, that's just super super cool. Yeah, I, I liked the bit about Bruce looking up at his obituary <laughs> on the screen. Yeah, like it. In some ways, I think this is kind of the first chapter I expected, given the premise of the solicitation. But it's done so well, and it shows it, us so much of this world. It is done very, very well. And uh, it, you know, and then there's a, kind of a thing where we see Bruce. He can't not be Bruce, though. Yeah. Right. Yeah, um, um, really, yeah, super strong, super strong entry here. The other half of this issue is Grifters, written by Matthew Rosenberg, with art by Carmine Digi and Domenico, colors by Antonio Fabella, and letters by Andworld Design. And I want to talk about the very first text box in this. Okay. And I want to ask you, did your brain make any immediate connections on this first text box, which is, this isn't as bad as it looks? Because I immediately went to, okay, this looks bad, from (laughs) Hawkeye. (laughs) Yeah, my bet is that's just Matthew being um, not not even thinking. I, I don't think he went there on purpose. You know, though, I would believe it if he did, because I feel like that set a very specific kind of expectation for this. Yeah. And I don't think this reads like the Fraction Hawkeye. But I think there is a very Hawkeye, yeah, I'm a fuck-up and I know it sort of vibe to his take on Grifter. Yeah. That I really dig. 
Well, and here's the thing. In some ways, a little bit, it almost works even better with Grifter because Grifter kind of isn't a hero. Right. Right? Like, he's, which, he's which a mercenary. Play, right. Which lets you play even more into that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, like, we see him starting off, he's undercover, playing cards in, you know, a criminal bar, some sort of seedy environment, at the yes. very least. And, like, he gets into a fight when someone accuses him of cheating. It's like, yeah, no, I, I, I didn't cheat, and next time, make sure you can beat up the person who you're going to accuse of cheating. Um, I don't know that he ever says he didn't cheat. <laughs> okay, fair. That's fair. <laughs> Um, I do, I do want this set of cards though, which is all of the Batman kind of like rogues gallery on the cards. Yes, I do want this. Absolutely. Playing cards. Um, and then a pair DC. of cops come in and out him as Cole Cash, and everyone in the bar tries to kill him immediately. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I love how just no shits this book is. Like yeah. everybody just nope. Okay, well, you don't want to come with us, then uh, have fun, Grifter. <laughs> <laughs> ah, damn. Yeah. And that that gets him on the magistrate's radar and introduces, I think, what's going to be the the real hook of this is sure. Luke Fox needs out of the city. Yep, and is trying to hire Grifter to get him out. Yes. Um, and Grifter's like, fine, you know what? For fifty thousand bucks, sure, but uh, we're gonna have to be careful. And I've got a contact, and I don't know who I expected that contact to be. Wasn't but this, this person? Character it wasn't this person. Nope. Um, do we want to say who? Uh, you know what? I, let's not in this one. Okay. By 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 issue two, we I feel we'll be we'll feel free. Yeah, to talk about I think it, at that yeah. point we'll have to. Yeah, I think. Um, right. It also makes sense why, uh, why this character has had a backup announced in a book in April. Ah, yeah. Um, I am curious because I. I I think I know which particular version of this character this is. Yeah. But I'm not 100% certain yet. Yeah. Well, we'll find out next time. Yeah. Also set in 2027, uh, in this case, I think specifically after the events of The Flash. Yes. Uh, Teen Titans, number one. And I say after the events of The Flash because this, I think, gives us some explanation for what's going on in that book. Uh, this is written for Tim Sheridan. Pencils are by Rafa Sandoval. Uh, inks are by Jordi Tarragona. Colors are by Alejandro Sanchez. And letters are by Rob Lee. This book is doing a lot of lifting as far as giving us information about how these stories work, I think, also. Yes. Um, very specifically, there's a the opening scene is essentially Nightwing and Emiko Arrow at this point mm -hmm. um, at the ruins of Titan's Tower, and we see all of these, you know, memorial, basically gravestones, right, with people like Donna Troy and Wally West, right? Yeah. So one of the things I think this is telling us very clearly is this future is not guaranteed right right yeah i think i think and i've been saying this since we got the solicitations yeah um but the book itself kind of proves this i think more than anything we've read so far yep 
this book is the clearest example of what Future State and Infinite Frontiers are. Yes. And how they're related. Um, because we very clearly get flashbacks to what will be the status quo in Teen Titans Academy. Mm-hmm. To the point that, like, I'm going to keep this issue handy so that when the first issue of that comes out, I can start, like, connecting the dots on who are these characters and looking for, like, little Easter eggs. Because I feel like, especially in the scenes of the Ruined Academy, with all the junk on the ground, there are going to be lots of Easter eggs. Well, and, I mean, you can kind of see it already, like, in the background of one of these, right? We see all these names on the thing, and then we see literally this giant statue to Roy Harper. Yeah fallen and broken but you gotta kind of look for it um i also feel like there were just tchotchkes scattered on the ground that are like there okay are... this is gonna be somebody's equipment this is gonna be somebody's you know whatever well like there's very clearly on that on that next page there is um is it cinder block from the animated show yeah yeah like there's his head that's part of the rubble and i'm like okay this Cool. Like, and clearly this... and clearly the creators of this are familiar with the animated series because i mean we know red x is in this and right yeah and uh, this i don't know is really a, i mean i guess super light spoiler maybe but um like apparently they're kind of considering some of the animated show to be a little bit canon in that red x was dick grayson at one point in time. Yeah. And what I think is smart about this is it it doesn't actually say this is something that would have already happened. Right. It could be something that happens in the early stages of Teen Titans Academy. Yes. Yeah. Like like yeah, they don't pin when it was, but like yeah, I, I, I don't This book is doing a lot and I like all of it. <laughs> yeah, it's it is clearly very cleverly constructed. Yes. To to one pay off in the future, but also to stand on its own. Like everything we get in this is we see we see things played out in the present of twenty twenty seven and in the past of twenty twenty one ish, presumably. And everything you need to know about this book is in those pages. You don't need to know what's coming in Teen Titans Academy. You don't even really have to have read The Flash. Although if you have, I think you do get a better idea for both books, what's going on with Wally and what's going on with what they're fighting yep. in the 2027 parts of this book. Yeah, and then we get a, we get a, a, an introduction to who are clearly going to be some of the students at the yes. Academy, right? Which my favorite has to be Brat Girl. Brat Girl is very good. I also liked, oh shoot, what was his name? It's just a great name, if nothing else. Um, Chupacabra's there. Chupacabra's excellent. Is it, is it Gorilla Greg? Gorilla Greg is also good. I was thinking of Totally Tubular. Totally Tubular, yes. Uh, whose costume is very like uh, uh, that recent Flash series with Wally West, the the six issue mini series about him yep. going through the multiverse. Yes, flash forward. Flash forward. Thank you. Yes. Uh, we also meet uh, the future status quo for Cyborg and Beast Boy, which I think is just great. Oh, that I, 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 like, I can't decide if I really like it or I'm disturbed by it. <laughs> it's it's disturbing and tragic and horrifying. Absolutely, like I don't want to see them 
have to deal with this. But also just the concept of, well, if you're going to have an apocalyptic future version of the two of them teamed up, having them share a body as Psybeast and complete each other's sentences... And disagree with each other? Yeah. Like, that kind of Freaky Friday meets the odd couple uh, uh, thing, I cannot think of a better pair of characters than the two of them to do it with. Yes. So good. Uh, oh, let's not forget, Johnny Thunder is apparently part of this, too, because his uh, his Thunderbolt is there with the team. Okay, I did not catch that, but you're right. Oh, yeah. yeah and she even says something, Starfire even says something to, to Johnny, yeah. I wonder if this is, like, Johnny the third. Johnny... I mean, maybe. The fourth. Maybe. Um, and then clearly, um, Raven has powered up a bit. Yep. Uh... And, um, at this point, uh, uh, Crush has grown up, too. Yes. Crush and Emiko. Oh, and by the way, clearly Emiko and Beast Boy have hit it off during their time at Titans Academy. Uh-huh. Because his nickname for her is just, he calls her Meeks. <laughs> and I love I'm, it. I'm for this. I am all for this. Uh, and we learn that the... The, the team in the present of Future State is looking for the H-Dial so they can help fight off what are basically the four horsemen of the apocalypse? Yeah, sounds about right. Um, one of which is this entity that has possessed Wally. Yeah. Um, um, and then we, we get this weird thing going on through this whole thing where Corey, Starfire, keeps calling Dick Nightwing and everybody reacts to it like, Huh? Why? Why are you calling him Nightwing? Yeah. And then on the final page, we find out why. <laughs> yeah. Um, let's just say he's undergone a um identity change again, much like from Robin to Nightwing. Yes. Yes, he has, and uh, it makes sense why he would be working with Red X. It does. It does indeed. Uh, and that's as far as I want to go into spoiler territory. Yeah. But I saw that page and I was like, oh shit, that that's going to have to be like my phone wallpaper or something for a while. Uh -huh. That's a cool, cool page right there. Um, We also never learn Red X's identity in this issue. And given that it sounds like that's going to be kind of a mystery in Teen Titans Academy, yeah. I don't think we're going to learn it in the second issue of this. No, I, I am 100% with you on that. Yeah. Then we move a little further into the future to 2035 for Future State Green Lantern number one. Uh, this book has three stories in it, um, and they're set all kind of around 2035. Brian and I were sort of spitballing at the timeline of this before we started recording. Yeah. Um, there's an event we'll talk about where, where just the central power battery or whatever has gone dead. Yeah. And, and the only reason best... it's a little kind of iffy is, like, one of the story takes place over a long period of time. So yeah. that's, the, yeah. Um, my best guess, since the first, the main feature of this, Last Lanterns, clearly this has been the status quo for a little bit. Yes. My guess is that's 2035. Right. I'm guessing that's around the same time as, taking place around the same time as the taking of Sector 0123. Uh, well, I'm guessing that's about a year later, right? Because she says something about, I've been here for well, a year. But I, what I'm saying is, I think 
I think probably that's about a year after the event. I'm thinking Last Lanterns is probably also about a year after event. The event, so yep. the event's yep. probably 2034, which means Book of Guy is probably 2034, then 2035, then 2040. Yeah, that would that would fit. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the other possibility is that The Last Lanterns takes place a little bit later, so like maybe it's yeah. been like six or seven years since the event, because that's the one that we're really not sure where it fits but around the event. The one thing we do know is that there are working lantern rings again by 2040. Yeah, Because there is a Green Lantern in Justice League. Correct. So that's that's kind of the scale of time we're dealing with on this book, is somewhere in... A five, six year period in the mid to late 2030s. Um, yeah, so let's talk about the, the, the main series, or I, I guess the main, the first story that's in here, which is kind of the, the main, the last Lanterns one, yep. is John Stewart leading a group of former Lanterns uh, who are, you know, are depowered, they have no rings, yep. um, in an evacuation of a planet. And real quick, this is written by Jeffrey Thorne, oh, artist yep. by Tom Rainey, colors by Mike Atia. And letters by And World Design. Yeah. Um, and there is uh, this group of Kuns, which if you've read Teen Titans or Omega Men or anything from, from way, way back, the Kuns are a uh, race from the same sector of space as like Tamaran. Yeah. Yeah. And there is someone in there, so, uh, yeah, a figure that is part of the, now, that is now called the God in Red. Yeah. Which... I immediately go to uh, Red Lantern uh, and Atrocitus. Yes. Yeah, that, I, I 100% am with you on that, yes. Yeah. Um, Maybe even Atrocitus, right? Or Descendant of some sort. Yeah, who yeah. Knows. Uh, this is, I think, a very traditional sort of Green Lantern core on a mission kind of story. Yes. Uh, the only difference here is they don't have rings. They're having to get by on wits and tactics and really really the lanterns in this are just trying to stave off an invading force long enough to evacuate as many people as they can and um things don't go so well because a whole lot more of the enemy show up than they're anticipating and yeah things go bad quickly is all i'll say yeah yeah then we move to the taking of sector 0123 this is written by ryan katie Artist by Sammy Bosry, colors by Hi-Fi, and letters by Dave Sharp. This is probably my favorite of the three. I, I, no, yeah, I think I agree with you. And it's in no small part due to just... Jessica is probably my favorite Green Lantern. Okay. Um, And I think it's a story that works very well for her. She is stuck on basically a, a space station by herself uh, as the rings are depowered. In the the action of this story, she's been there for a year and has kept the station running and operative and like has had to do things like bypass bypass different controls to maintain life support with limited energy and all that. And at the same time, is like using comms to remotely negotiate peace talks and uh, divert resources to save people and all that and it's very much this inversion of her original status quo as someone who who was agoraphobic did not want to leave the house lots of anxiety to okay i am stuck here and i'm used to that but i'm also used to doing good let me find a way to do both yeah 
and it hits in a very particular way in what month 10 of quarantine yeah, something like that yeah like it like it, it it's very um time appropriate for coming out yeah. right now yeah um so the, yeah this is the I, which they've established this before that they have the Green Lantern Corps has what they call sector houses, yeah, which are these locate and I think uh, um, you know we've seen we've seen the one for uh, you know the Earth sector before so uh, but yeah that's where she's at uh, and I think the other part of this that works for me is the characters that they chose to uh, show up. Mm-hmm. The Yellow Lantern members? Yeah, so there's three Yellow Lanterns that show up, and it's Low, uh, which I, I don't remember. I know I've, I'm, I'm almost positive I've seen Low before. Lissa, yeah. Lissa Drock, which I know 100% is a, is a very well-established character. And then Ug E, which I'm guessing has to have been a character that existed, but man, is she the most disturbing <laughs> Yeah, the 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 swap between mouths and eyes. Yeah, so she has two mouths where her where eye sockets would be and her eye her one eye is where our mouth would be and it's ah oh, it's just creepy. Yeah, like you think that one uh what is it a Lucifer character or a Hellblazer character? No, no, it's maybe it's a Sandman character, but there's a Vertigo character who's yeah. who's got a mouth where a mouth goes, and then two mouths where eye goes. Like you think that's bad enough? Yeah, no, it's it's worse with an eyeball there. It's, it is. Uh, but yeah, I I don't think I've seen this character before either. But just fantastic design, either way. Yeah, and that like there's one scene. So Jessica has to figure out how to take them out, right? Without without a ring because you know there's yeah. she got no ring and there's one part where she's fighting this character Uggy, and she, like this character gets hit and like is falling backwards and you see one of her tongues sticking out like this long ribbon level <laughs> tongue sticking out of one of her mouth eye mouths and it's like oh no <laughs> i don't like that yeah i i like that this this also sets up Jessica to be like in a very sort of die-hard Home Alone kind of way, just yes. sneaking through the station that she knows so well and uh -huh. tricking and taking down the lanterns. And then a uh, surprising but not unexpected twist at the end. Yeah, yeah. It's as much as I like this story, I'm a little afraid of this ending. Well, you know what, I, I it. It took me aback a little bit at first, but yeah. then I thought about her character, and it really does make sense. It does. Like, it's, and I mean, okay, this is just the DNA of the thing at some sure. level, but like, it's a fine line between controlling fear in overcoming it and controlling fear in weaponizing it. Yeah. Um, at the end of this is she picks up the yellow lantern that. Lissa is trying to use to overtake the station and yeah. the the ring she has taken off of low and put on her necklace with her green lantern ring lights up and Invites offers her the, her the chance to become a yellow lantern yeah which i am super interested in seeing where that goes i think there's a version of that that is amazing and a version of that that i'm terrified to see and i trust yeah. ryan katie like if we see more of this this story for Jessica, I trust Ryan Katie to to take it down. Having right. read some of his other work, 
to take it down the road I the road I would be happier with. Yes, yeah. I just and, don't want to want to see her become out and out villain, right? Yeah, like that's but, the thing, right? And, and we know that, um, like I said, we know that you know she had this crippling fear to start with. Yeah, we know that she was invited to the Green Lantern Corps because she had the ability to overcome it, which is the thing, right, for Green Lantern, right? And then throughout this whole thing, we kind of hear how she has kept that fear and and now uses it to yeah mo- and like oh yeah that is a yellow lantern and to be fair there are examples that we have where there are yellow lanterns who are not villains at all right so and the the other thing i think it parallels nicely is her original ring was not a earth zero green lantern correct. core ring Yes. It was Power Rings Ring from Earth 3. Yes. So she does have experience, like, controlling, for lack of a better phrase, an evil ring. Right. Like, she she has the ability to kind of keep that in check and balance it. So, yeah, I think there's a lot of potential for storytelling coming out of this. All right. Uh, then we have The Book of Guy, written by Ernie Altbacker, art by Clayton Henry, colors by Marcelo Maiolo, and letters by Steve Wands. This is simultaneously exactly the story I expected to be. Yep. And, like, in meeting those expectations, a really fun story. It is. This is, to me, this is the best kind of guy story. Guy can easily become too much, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but... He kind of can't be in this one, and that makes it really good. Yeah. And the reason he can't be is because he goes to to this world to stop this war, and clearly that's when the event happens that he loses his power to his ring. Yep. And literally falls to the ground, and then guys his way into literally becoming their prophet. Yes. And I love that... The two factions he is 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 stuck mediating between. Did you catch what the difference between these two factions is? Is it their slight skin color, or is it their? It's their, their hair color. Is it their facial hair? Okay, yeah. It's well, their hair, hair color. color. Okay. Um, because when we meet the third faction at the end of the book, they're the bald faction. Right, right, right. Yes. Um, it is the single most arbitrary. <laughs> Um, can I, can I tell you that the, the, what has to be the best thing that guy introduces in this book though, is indeed the foosball table of peace. (laughs) See, I thought you were going to say the return of, you know, we talked about how death metal opened the door for some dead characters to come back. Correct. And we see the return of badge. We do. Yeah. One of the best green lanterns. Indeed. Tied for first with. Chip, the other squirrel green. The lantern. other squirrel lantern, yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh but yeah, and this takes place uh like over twenty five years. Yeah. Yeah. Uh and so clearly if Guy has been on this planet depowered for twenty five years, uh and has essentially brought them to peace. Do you think at some point Guy just gave up on checking his ring? Like, he could get off and his ring could work, but he just hasn't checked it in 15 years? Man, I don't know. I don't know. Like, he's kind of living it up while he's here? Well, and you know what? Here's the It's either that, or if you think about this, right? So this is 25 years. It does, because it says 25 years after he arrived, right? 
Yeah. Um. So that means that essentially, if we know rings are working by 2040, right, then the event had to take place well before we kind of thought it might have. Well, there is one other option. Okay. The Green Lantern who we see in Justice League right. is Joe Mullane. Mm-hmm. And if you've been reading Far Sector, she has a different kind That's of true. ring. That's true. And the first yeah. of its kind. That is true. Uh, her ring does not need a battery and recharges itself. And that may be why her... Yeah, that's that's very true then. Yeah. yeah. So that, that you're right. It could be that this is... The timeline is different, but it could also be that actually she's the only lantern left at that point. And, yeah, and then on the final page, somebody shows up who might be a running for a guy's position of profit. You know, I... I don't know if we're getting a second part of this, but I really, really, really need to see Guy and Lobo as, like, competing prophets. Well, because they, like, he shows up and all the people are like, new prophet, prophet, prophet. Yeah. And they're, of course, saying P-R-O-P-H-E-T. And, of course, Lobo goes, prophet? I'm your main man. (laughs) No, not, (laughs) no, no. And literally Guy's reaction is to put his head in his hand and go, so damn close. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, you're right. This may be the end of this, but oh my yeah. god, so good. I, it, like I said, super super good. So next up is Justice League number one. The main story for this, or the first half of this, uh, which is the Justice League story, is set in 2040. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is written by Josh Williamson. Pencils are by Robson Rocha. Inks are by Danielle Enriquez. Colors by Romulo Fayardo Jr. and letters by Tom Napolitano. And this starts with basically a new Legion of Doom sitting in the Hall of Justice, which is, you know, gone through some catastrophe of, of its own. And plotting it's yeah. plotting the destruction of the current Justice League. Uh and we learn that the the original Justice League uh, I love the the number of times the phrase "not your dad's Justice League" comes in. <laughs> Specifically said to John, yes, yeah. Um, whatever this catastrophe was, this betrayal we learned eventually was led the team to set some rules that prevent fraternization outside of league business, that only call the league together in case of absolute emergencies. Uh, and that require its members not to disclose their identities to each other. Okay, did this sound like totally like something that Batman came up with? I mean, it's Tower of Babel, right? Right, yeah. yeah. It's 100% Tower of Babel, except in the flashback scene to whoever the betrayer is, Batman is in the kind of crowd of Justice League members with Superman, Wonder Woman, Green Arrow, yeah. and uh, Martian Manhunter. Yeah. Um... I love the fact that the Justice League members are really, really bad at actually not hanging out with each other in pairs, but just don't tell each other that they're actually doing it. Well, so here, so the the first thing you have to realize is, so, right, so we, we know that they have these rules that they don't hang out, they only come together, but at the same time, they're they're like superstars. Like, there's, you know, all of these, um, uh, you know, trading cards and... You know, like real-world merchandise stuff, right? And, like, everybody loves them. Well, and one of the things I like about that 
is that kind of calls back to the beginning of the new 52 era justice league okay we see a lot of like merch and books written about and things like that that actually lead to some of those plot lines in the same way that uh the tower of babel idea goes back to grant morrison's run and the the actual villains of this story who are revealed are from grant morrison's run like this is something that pokes to a bunch of different past eras yeah of justice league at the same time that it builds this new thing right, can we talk for a minute about this legion of doom i would love to because oh my god um I had to actually text Jin with one of the characters in this Legion of Doom. Cobalt Blue. Cobalt Blue, yeah. So, yeah, so we have Tio Morrow, right? Yep. Um, and um, Despera, who is Despero's daughter. Yep. Uh, Amaze X, instead of Amaze O. Who not, doesn't just steal powers, but also souls. Yeah. Or Mimic. Yep. Cobalt Blue, right? The Screech Owl, who is very clearly a Talon and Bane put together. Yep. Oh, shit. <laughs> the Flood, uh, which is some sort of sentient water creature. Yep. It's it's Liquidator from Darkwing Duck. <laughs> there you go. And an ultra, the Ultraviolet Lantern. Which is another nod to, like, recent history. Yes. Snyder's run. Yep. Um, uh, and, and Dr. Ivo. And Dr. Ivo, correct. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, yeah, like, ooh, and, yeah, you know, the, the ending page of this is basically, tomorrow the Justice League will die. And then we turn the page, and it's tomorrow, and the Legion of Doom is dead. Yep. <laughs> um, and we meet our Justice League roster, which is, of course, John as Superman. Yep. Yara Floor is Wonder Woman, and this is... Actually, ten years before we see her in Yara Floor from last week's the Wonder Woman book from last yes, week. Yes, correct. Um, so at that point, she's actually been active for a while already. Right. Uh, like she's have, established and yeah, everything. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we have Andy Curry, the Aqua Woman. Jess, I assume Quick is Jess's last name. Uh, they are the Flash from an alternate world who stayed and hung out here to help. Joe Mullane is the Green Lantern, and the Batman from the next Batman is our Batman. Correct, and we are not we are not told here who that is either. Correct. Yeah. When we know, but we are not telling. <laughs> um. So yeah. Um. Wow. Um. So th I guess they agree to let Green Lantern investigate these murders. Yeah, because she is. I love this moment yeah. where they're like, okay, Flash, what do you think? And right. someone responds, Barry was the CSI? This it, is it's not... Andy. She's like, they're not Barry, Wonder Woman. Crime scenes were his deal. Yeah. Wait, but then to, they which, remember... to which her wait, wait, to which Flash's response is perfect because it's, yeah. And I think we're stepping in the flood? Ew, because <laughs> the, the floor is covered with water. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, no. But yeah. Joe Mullane is an actual officer of the law. Right. Even prior to becoming a Green Lantern, like, she has experience investigating crime scenes, so they leave her Correct. to it. Yeah, like, that's what she did in Far Sector initially, was yeah. she was their police officer, right? So, because of their non-fraternization thing, right, they uh, they decide to leave 
Joe to investigate, and they go their separate ways. Sort of. S- or sort of, yeah. yeah. To which uh, John kind of wrangles in Yara Floor and talks about, why can't we fraternize with these? Why yeah. do we have these rules in place? He's he's struggling with being, like, together but alone. Correct. Yes. Uh, which is a really Superman beat for him. It is. I also like the other pair who we see together, which is too. Andy and Jess, who feel kind of flirtatious, at least. A little bit. A little bit. Because something about, uh, Jess says something about, you know, like, uh, um, you know, we're, we, or I guess it's Andy says, we should never fraternize outside missions, Jess. Just stay professional. And Jess is like, that's a rule made by the old Justice League that we should have left in our dust. And Andy's like, it's intended to protect us. And Jess's response is, then why do you break the rules for me, princess? Which they say while feeding Andy a piece of popcorn or whatever. Yeah, yeah. There's clearly some flirtatious. Yeah. Whether that means anything or not, we'll find out, but yeah. Um, And then doppelgangers of all the members who know everyone's real identities show up and take them out, and we meet the real villains of the piece, the Hyper Clan. The Hyper Clan. Yeah, who have so. posed as other members to infiltrate and, and and now by the way, they are taking over and going to become the Justice League. They yeah. are like taking the form of them. Oh boy. Yeah, I really dug this. I also dug the backup for this, which is Justice League Dark. It is. Written by Rom V, art by Marcio Takara, colors by Marcelo Maiolo, and letters by Rob Lee. This is set actually in 2030, which makes this contemporaneous roughly with Superman of Metropolis from last week. Yep. And and just after Teen Titans. And yes. Flash. Yeah. Uh, Merlin has shown up and basically taken all the magic for himself, is wrangling any last magic users and artifacts. The... Justice League Dark Team has been split up and fragmented. Etrigan now resides in Bobo. Uh, no one has seen Ragman in years. No one has seen Dr. Fate in years. And I, I must point out, Alex, uh, one of the questions Alex had was, how is Bobo going to summon him? And of course, the answer is, gone, gone, the simian. Rise the demon, Etrigan. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> I approve. I approve very much. I cackled when I read it, too, because I was like, Alex is going to love that. <laughs> yep. I do. Um, A lot of this issue is kind of getting the band back together. Uh, Yeah. But there is so much clever world building in doing that that it never feels by the numbers. Right. Yeah, like, they have to track down where this artifact they found came from, and in doing so, uh, run into Rory Regan. Yeah. And this is framed, or introduced at least, by uh, a scene with this old man on a park bench who is blind, but can see some things, and when he looks in his coffee can, can see the future, and has seen his own death that day. Wow, that's that's quite a coffee can he's got there. Yeah. <laughs> um... <laughs> The best part of waking up is magic in your cup. Clearly, say, something... part of getting the band back together is, of course, when they ran, as soon as they ran into Rory, you knew that Ragman was coming back. Yep. Yeah. So now uh, we and... have 
Bobo with Etrigan, Zatanna, who, right, and Ragman. And who do they run into when they are tracking down what's left? That would be, that would be John Constantine. Of course. If there is bullshit going on, you know John Constantine somewhere. And who has he been working with? Madame Xanadu. Oh, right. Yes. Yeah. That's right. Yep. Because she keeps drawing the same tarot cards. Uh-huh. Until they show up. Until they show up. Uh, clearly something also has gone down here. Not just because Etrigan is tied to Bobo, but Jason Blood has done something. Or something has happened to him. Like, there's some big mystery about it. Yeah. Because when they finally reveal, when Etrigan reveals who this old man is, yeah, um, this person says, yeah, it's time you learned the truth about Jason Blood. And it was Merlin originally who tied Etrigan and Blood together. Yes. So this, this makes a lot of sense. In fact, one of the things that this book reminded me of, uh, partly just, I think, because of drawing on some of those pieces of lore, is an early New 52 book mm. called Demon Knights mm -hmm. that was set in the past, and Etrigan and Jason Blood were characters in it. Yep. And Madame Xanadu was in there. Right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I believe so. Uh, but yeah, I like, I like everything this story is doing. I like the threads it's drawing from. I like that it's telling a story separate from what has happened so far. Yes. In in Romvi's Justice League Dark Run. Yes. And that we know sets up the, the run he'll be doing as the backup in Justice League going forward. Yeah. Uh, I also really like Marcelo Maiolo's decisions in how he colors panels throughout this, where he draws focus. Yeah. Um, I know his work primarily with Andrea Sorrentino. Like, I've read other books he's colored. There are a couple of other artists he colors quite often. But one of the things he's really good at is using simplified or, or less saturated color palettes in certain panels at certain times to do things like pull focus or separate points in time without needing like a text box to go back and explain or something like that it's it's smart color work and i think he does a really good job with it here i i i 100 agree like there's this beautiful beautiful panel where etrigan is breathing fire and it, like it's just this big orange bloom yeah it's yeah i love it Moving on, Future State Kara Zor-El, Superwoman number one. This is set in 2050 at the same time as the Wonder Woman book from last week, starring Yara Floor. Uh, this, however, takes place on the moon. Yeah, this is the one that was the least, I think, what I, maybe because maybe I had no idea what to expect. I think, I think that was it for me, too. This is written by Marguerite Bennett. Art and colors are by Marguerite Savage. Letters are by Wes Abbott. Yeah. Um, so, uh, super, super sad opening. Yeah. Um, we start at Crypto's tombstone. Yeah. On the moon. On the moon. In, on, in the moon colony, I should say. Because there's a whole colony here on the moon. Yeah. And, a refugee colony, specifically. Yeah, and through the narration it's basically Kara talking to crypto 
mm-hmm. and telling him how he taught her to be a good person. Yeah, like the th- one of the through lines for this story is when this this refugee with powers who doesn't know how to control them shows up. Like she takes her entire example on how to be there for someone from crypto, which is really sweet. Yeah, and and like I don't know, there's something about the way she places him in mentor role when the other the other major through line of this is feeling like kind of always estranged from Clark and John. Right. That really creates a very specific sort of worldview, I think, for for Kara. Right. And this very very much leans on the the idea that Kara was supposed to kind of come with John and you know basically raise him and shepherd him and and guide him because she was older on Krypton. Yeah. Um and the fact that her, because uh, of the path that her spaceship took and things that happened, you know, he was already completely full grown and older than her when she arrived. Yeah. Um, and, and this character that she meets kind of, you know, basically doesn't understand why she's not upset that that kind of legacy that Superman has was taken from her. Well, and what I like about this setup and, I think it's smart to have put this so far in the future. Yeah. Not only, you know, does she does does Kara not get to be Superman's protector. Right. But when it comes time for him to pass his legacy on, because John exists, it moves past her. Right. And one thing I think this story informs really well is the Superman of Metropolis book from last week kind of the the bitterness that we talked about the, yeah. the the even more maybe tempered anger at john that brain cells sort of pulled out of her like this book gives that some context yes i agree um but this is also far enough out that it's truly believable that yeah kara has moved on and is accepted this is not this is not what my life is going to be let me find purpose somewhere else and her purpose now is she is the protector of this moon base moon colony that is a refugee for anyone who is not accepted somewhere else yeah and kind Um, of the tragedy of it is no one there really likes her very much either right because well she's so powerful and they just kind of want it to be peaceful and quiet well but to be fair for to her she doesn't she want she she's kind of embraced pacifism she doesn't want to fight oh, yeah. anymore well right and i i, I that's not that was not meant as a criticism of her. no like, right no i understand that's their response to her but yeah she like tends to gardens and talks to her talks to crypto like almost in a sort of therapeutic kind of way like it's very it's very doctor who in a way like a a if Doctor Who had a really bad, if the Doctor had a really bad time and just got away for a while and refused to fight anymore, it yeah. feels like this would be that sort of status quo. Yeah, um, and I love. There's one scene where she's walking through the Moon Colony with her with this new person that she's kind of become mentor for this this new powered person who you know she's trying to help learn to control her powers and stuff and there's this little girl walking with her dog and like it's very clearly a a 
reminder of, you know, her and crypto. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think I think that it would have been easy to tell this story using a more like DC house style in the art. Yep. But Marguerite Savage has a very specific kind of illustrated almost pastoral vibe to yes. her art in this book that I think adds to everything we've talked about so far too. Like it creates this this almost bottle world feels like a weird thing to say about a book about Kara Zor-El, whose hometown was in fact trapped in a bottle. But there's probably also something intentional about the fact that she does live in a big domed-in moon colony. Sure. Um, but it creates this sort of like specific, it, it creates this sort of specific world for her to live in that is quieter and is softer and is more peaceful visually and not just narratively. Um and then uh the the past of this this girl that she is mentoring shows up and uh she has to then deal with how she's going to respond to that. Yeah. Um like I said this one is probably the most different but at the same time I I didn't know what to expect so I mean not different from my expectations just different from I think a lot of these others and traditional kind of superhero stories. I agree. Like, that being said, I really liked it. I did too. Yeah. I think it stands out because it is it is doing something so different. Lenari, by the way, is this other character. Yes, yes, yeah. Uh all right. One more. One more. Uh twenty years further into the future, twenty seventy brings us to Superman Wonder Woman number one. This is written by Dan Waters, art is by Leila Del Duca, colorist is Nick Filardi, and letterer is Tom Napolitano. One of the things I like out of the gate about this book is that we learn that obviously the world is not perfect, but more or less, like, Metropolis at least is good, and yep. Superman and Wonder Woman have pretty much gotten things under control. Now, we, we see Wonder Woman in Brazil dealing with, like, bureaucrats and corruption and all of that imagine so not, imagine that there's still bad people in the world who are taking advantage of situations yeah, the, hmm. the world's not perfect but by and large it feels like the big threats they have under control and we're not getting like every six months cities get destroyed and crises happen and, right and atlantis floods the world to try to attack them or right yeah there are no events in the future is what it sounds like um so I do. This is this is like a weird quote of the week, but this is it. it this is, has my. I'm going to call it quote of the week. Brian's quote of the week, but weird. <laughs> so there's uh, we, we talked about how there's uh this corruption in the sit in San Paulo where essentially they haven't been repairing the infrastructure, and so the city is completely gridlocked with traffic. And yeah. all of the politicians and the people in power use helicopters to fly over the city, right? And something happens, and this one helicopter with this guy kind of falls out of the sky, and Wonder Woman catches it. And it, it, basically, it's crumpled up at the end, and it's sitting, you know, by the side of the road in the city. <laughs> and these people all going. take out these markers and are writing things on this crumpled piece of, you know, uh, elitist helicopter, right? And it's things like, I will not embezzle from the people of my city. I will not try to shoot Wonder Woman. 
Now, is it the people or is it the two politicians who well, are it's in the, it, who yeah, she is it's, making it's essentially right. she's no, yeah. So I'm sorry, I, I did say it's essentially the the helicopter pilot and the politician who yeah. she is making essentially write sentences on the board. It's the Simpsons chalkboard game. Exactly, yeah. But they're yeah. having to do it on the helicopter. Yeah. Yeah. Um, our inciting event in this is, as this helicopter is flying, as John is out starting his patrol, a second sun shows up in the sky. Yeah. Um, and we learn that it is, what was it called? Solaris. Solaris. Uh, it is Solaris who has come to consume and defeat Superman once and for all. Uh, yeah, he is. He's an enemy of John's. Yeah. Which does not play well to Yara's cousin, ancestor of some sort, the sun god, who immediately goes up and in a very like, yep, I'm a god. I'm going to peacock and pose and fight this thing like challenges solaris to a race well because yeah because she goes and we find out that the sun and the moon are brothers and they live together in the same house yeah and, and i love people how believe in her people have started believing in the gods again yeah, and i love how this uh it, not mirrors but you know is it, it kind of pays homage to the same kind of weird god family that diana always had yeah right but that it's you know it's yara's beliefs and traditions and their history and i love i was i was trying to find or remember where i saw this earlier this week i don't remember if it was in dan waters newsletter or in something one of the creators working on one of the yara floor books tweeted but there was there was a comment that I read about sort of the guiding ethos for Yara Flora as a character, uh-huh. where Diana sought to soothe the world of man. Yara Flora wants to soothe the world of the gods. Okay, and you see that in this issue. I yeah. think um, I also think it's a really clever distinction. Like, okay, we can fix the symptoms or we can fix the problems. And I do think I, I do think it's important to know that this one takes place, you know, so far after, like Justice League, for instance, thirty years later. Right. To know that these two characters, Yara and John, have a lot of history together at this point. Yeah. Yeah. And I like that. I like that we see them so far apart because not just do we have that history, but we can kind of see where, like, in Justice League. They almost feel closer than they do here. Yeah. Like they've been pulled apart and have worked in other directions so much. Uh, there's a scene in here where he's trying to get her to rejoin the Justice League. And she's like, have you changed X, Y, and Z? Right. She's like, no, then I'm I'm good where I'm at. Yeah. And basically like the, first, the first thing that he says when they see each other is he's like, Wonder Woman, it's been a minute. Yeah. So yeah. clearly they haven't spoken in a while. Yeah. Yeah. Like, they have history, and they're important to each other, but some distance has shown up. I actually kind of, I think that's done in a smart way here that yeah. makes it work really well. Yep. Um, Agreed. I think I, it's that it helps sell the premise that the world is a little calmer, because why would they see each other as much, or have to work together as much, Right. if things are calmer? Yep. Uh, and then I do, I do like the actual title of this book. 
which is Superman and Wonder Woman in the planet's finest. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Clever. Yeah. Clever. And that is it for Future State yeah. this Oof. week. I, I, I know these are chunky sections, but this stuff is all so new and so good. Well, and it's it's seeding things that we'll be paying off for yep. years to come. Yeah. Uh, we're going to start picking it up now. Yep. Let's go. Next up, we have Homesick Pilots, number two. This is written by Dan Waters, art and color by Casper Wingard, letters by Aditya Bidikar, designed by Tom Muller. Uh, the reason we wanted to talk about this again this week is I think this is an even clearer example of what this book is actually going to be about like number one was prologue how did we get here right and number two shows what amy's mission is retrieving these items these ghosts that have been lost from the mansion yeah she's like it's gonna be i think it's gonna be much more monster of the week ish ish yeah yeah because obviously it's ghosts and that kind of thing but yeah like her retrieving these ghosts and bringing them back to the house right um, and one of the things I think, like, we get we get a clear explanation of one of the characters asks her, are, are you dead? And she's like, no. I think just a little ghosty around the edges. <laughs> I love that so much. I do, too. Um, the design and the art, uh, the character design and the art, again, here, really, really elevate this book. Yes. Uh, the... The last issue ended with Amy kind of confronting this woman who had this lucky horseshoe, and we see that play out. Uh, and we learn that, like, the woman says, you can't take this from me. I, I want you to, it just won't let you. Right, like, not like, because it's very, you know, Amy takes it as, oh, you don't think I can, huh? And yeah. she's like, no, 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 you don't understand. It's not that I don't want you to, like, I don't think you can. <laughs> and we learn that the, the, this lucky horseshoe has created this monkey's paw situation where essentially reality is meaningless now to this woman because she gets what she wants. She But but none of it's real. None of it's real. None right, of it's like, earned, right. The 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 model looking guy who is half naked in her apartment, like there'll be another one in two days because he won't stick around because right. it's not real. There's no substance. Fame comes easily. She hasn't been caught in the rain in years and misses the feel of the rain on her skin. Yeah. And we even learn, and some content warning, maybe for this book, there is a lot of, like, suicide-related yeah. activity in this book. Yep. Um, we learn that she had tried to kill herself, and it wouldn't let her. So when Amy tries to take it, it possesses her. And this is like really cool character design. Like she becomes this sort of square Enix, final fantasy boss. Yeah. A horseshoe angel. Um, and Amy has to chase her through the city and eventually takes the horseshoe. And the only thing this woman knows to do in this moment of, of freedom is to jump off the roof. She is. Yeah. I mean, it's very clear. She is absolutely certain that it will come back to her yeah again and she in this moment of freedom this one small window that she feels she has she, the only way she can think to end it is to end it and that's where i think like the stakes of this book really come from the ways that if amy does not do this job right these items these ghosts will ruin people yeah and then we see 
Amy gets the horseshoe back to the house, and we see the presentation of this ghost in its natural ghost form, I guess is the best way to put that. Creepy as fuck. Uh, It is. So this is like the most, um, oh, God, what's, what's like, like, this is like Ice Cream Man or like some sort of, uh, uh, dreaming style character, yeah. right? Like vertigo type character. Sort of like this this mouth that curls up into a horseshoe and no eyes. Yeah, like the, right like no where head like above literally it. right above the mouth, right where your nose would be. It starts and it's just a horseshoe that goes up for or for his head from there. It's like yeah. oh oh I don't like that. <laughs> yeah, the the variant uh cover for this issue is by Christian Ward and it is that personification of the horseshoe, and it is creepy as fuck. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this this book is, and so I think again, I, the reason we wanted to mention this is this is I think what this book is going to be is her retrieving these these different ghosts. Yeah. And there's clearly a backstory that's going to build slowly through that, mm-hmm. and then you know erupt at some point. But yeah. Yeah. And her bandmates like kind of frame the issue she they sure they can't get back into the house to save her they go to kind of they go to try to find help and that goes badly for them we learn that the house lies to her and says nothing has happened while she's gone yeah so she doesn't know what's happened to all of them yeah I, lo- I love her comment i didn't know a house could lie <laughs> so <laughs> great can. turns out pretty much any sentient creature can can lie yeah, yeah. Now or- all right, King and Black Roundup. We have some territory to cover here, and we're going to do it pretty quickly. Yeah. First up is Gwynnum versus Carnage, number one. This is written by Shannon McGuire, art by Flaviano, colors by Rico Rinzi, and letters by Ariana Maher. Uh, I have missed solo Spider Gwyn. Me too. Um, I don't know if you read the back matter for this, but this actually gave them a chance to use an idea that Shadowman McGuire had been building toward. Oh no! When I the series ended, yeah, this was something they always wanted to do in the Spider Gwen book. Was uh, corrupt Mary Jane? Yes, was specifically have a Mary Jane Carnage, oh. which is what this issue builds toward, yeah. and what this arc as a whole is going to be about. Um. It is a King and Black tie-in. It deals with the fact that Gwyn's suit is an artificial venom. Over on Earth-65, Jackal is experimenting with the the spiders he had harvested, the little venom spiders that form her suit that he had harvested, and using Mary Jane as his test subject because he can't find Gwyn, who's going to school and living on Earth-65. And when she tries to jump home to avoid King and Black, that pulls Mary Jane into Earth-616 and gives the King and Black the chance to corrupt her. Yeah, and there's a specific reason why, because at the same time on uh, Earth-65, the Jackal has introduced the spiders that he has captured from Gwen to Mary Jane. Yeah. So they are connected now. Right. In a way. Uh, next we have Planet of the... S- oh, I also want to say real quick. Rico Rinzi, who colored all the Spider-Gwyn, uh, at least the original Spider-Gwyn run, returns to color this, and God, his colors are just the best. Yeah, like like all those pinks and 
purpley blues and yeah. yeah. He still keeps like a different color palette between 616 and Earth 65. Yep. But that same really saturated, almost neon feel. Yep. Kicks in. Next up is Planet of the Symbiotes number one, which is actually a pair of stories. If you read uh, Absolute Carnage, there are a bunch of tie-ins to that book. And these are actually the same creative teams writing the same characters as a couple of those tie-ins. The first is a Scream story. This is written by Clay McLeod Chapman. Art is by Guy Villanova. Colors by Dean White. Letters by Corey Pettit. And this is Scream, uh, who is Andy at this point uh andy shoot i don't remember her last name she had been i believe an ongoing character in colin bunn's venom run and in absolute carnage became the host for scream uh this is her kind of fighting fighting off symbiotes she has fire powers and isn't swayed by null and uh, tries to fight back against other symbiotes who who want to absorb her into them. Uh, then we have a Ravencroft story. This is written by Frank Thierry. Art is by Danilo S. Bayruth. Colors by Rochelle Rosenberg. Letters by Corey Pettit as well. Uh, this picks up with Misty Knight and John Jameson Jr., who are embedded in Ravencroft, kind of on lookout for more carnage venom symbiote activity um and this sees the return of one of cletus cassidy's ancestors who was apparently like the most lethal symbiote host ever from the dead after that is thunderbolts number one written by matthew rosenberg art and colors by juan ferreira and letters by Joe Sabino. This is very much, in, in some ways, a continuation of Rosenberg's time writing Wilson Fisk. Okay. He wrote a couple of Kingpin series uh, back during Civil War II and after, or maybe right before. Um, this is about Wilson Fisk pulling together his own team to fight Null. And the the roster, like... <laughs> This might as well be a Suicide Squad book. Just the number of characters who die sometimes more than once in this issue. Um, or who are just like, nah, fuck it. I'm not doing this anymore. Peace. You want to try to stop me? No, Rhino, I do not. You may go. <laughs> um, but Taskmaster and Star kind of anchor this team. Uh, and it's it's kind of just them trying to get through the city to... The person who Fisk has said will be like their their ace ace up their sleeve to fight Null. And ultimately they wind up at Ravenscroft where Norman Osborne answers the door. And there's one problem. Norman Osborne has been seen eaten. Oh boy. <laughs> so he's like the friendly, helpful Norman Osborn who's not gonna be useful at all. Nope. Uh, after that is The Union Number 2. This is written by Paul Grist, pencils by Andrea DeVito, inks by LeBeau Underwood, colors by Nolan Woodard, and letters by Travis Lanham. This deals with the immediate fallout of the, the Noel dragon killing Britannia in its first issue. Uh, the team fights as well as they can, fights off, uh, the symbiotes as they attack. 
the choir gets taken, so they save her. And at the end of this, uh, the team's like, nah, peace. We were here for Britannia. We are not answering to you, Union Jack. In fact, fuck you. <laughs> and they disband. Uh, <laughs> at which point, Union Jack finds out there was a clause in his contract that put him in charge. And he's got like one week to put the team back together. Or he just gets thrown in jail and it's all his fault that the team fell apart. Oops. Yeah. Um, it's It's a fun book that doesn't feel too too tied up in just being about king and black uh but clearly like is using that to jump start the story it's telling okay now we segue to krakoa for one more king and black tie-in uh that we're going to talk about on its own sword number two this is written by al ewing yeah. art by valerio skitty colors by Marte gracia and letters by ariana maher designer is tom muller Tell me about this book, Brian. Uh, so, real quick, uh, the reason this is a tie-in with King Black is is really just it's set during that, and it's kind of their reaction to it. Yeah. Um, and we get Abigail asking for feedback from each of her uh, full spectrum report, as she says, because she yeah. has all of her teams named, right? Her departments are color coded, so right. all her department exactly. heads are. Yellow so leader, so she gets leader. she she gets this feedback and of of specific note I think are are two things one is that um Mentalo is is the violet now yep uh indigo which is security which is cable is non-responsive I think that's going to be important I'd say so y yeah and um you know, and then the the rest of the teams kind of respond as as you would expect or whatever. Yeah. Um, and we we get some the the text pages on this, which you know show up kind of in all the mutant books, are super critical, especially this first one. Yeah. Um, in that it talks about why she chose Mentallo, and essentially what she has presented to the world and to him is he was the only one available that she could get. Right turns out that the reason she wants him specifically is he cares a whole lot more about money than he does about mutant rights and the belief in Krakoa, and that makes him loyal to her since she's paying him more so than it does to Krakoa. Yeah. So, yeah. So she has somebody that is loyal to her and not to Krakoa. And I think that is important to the the general sort of of focus of this book yep in the same way that normally i think it's really hard for a book to set its own tone and identity when it immediately gets thrown into an event yep uh but this book is i think uniquely positioned to actually clarify its identity by being immediately thrown into an event and I say that because in addition to seeing Abigail Brand sort of protect her own agenda, right. Abigail Brand responds to this and Sword responds to this from the perspective of this is a global threat. The world has been encased in a symbiote. Yep. And while, yes, we will respond by going to Krakoa first, we're really doing that because that's, that's our point of contact to return to Earth. Right. 
Uh, that's where the gates will take us, and we're the only people who can get on and off Earth right now. Yep. Uh, but she's responding to this in the same way that we've seen her talk in Empire and in the first issue of this, where this is not about just protecting Krakoa. This is about protecting right. the world. And uh, the thought that occurred to me in this is it's a whole lot, in, 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 or to me, it kind of related to like the Secret Service, right? In yeah. that the Secret Service report to the president. They work for the president. But when it comes to matters of security or when there's a threat, they don't listen to what he wants or what he says. Yeah. Their job is so, to that their ultimate job is to protect him in spite of himself in some cases. I was watching an episode of The West Wing yesterday yeah. for I don't know, the twentieth time. Sure. Um that had that same idea. It's like there's this plane flying over the White House yeah. that's unidentified, and Leo tells Bartlett if the Secret Service wants you in the bunker and you refuse to go. They will pick you up and take you there, and your feet might touch the ground once or twice on the way. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And Abigail very much has that kind of mentality. Like, if there is a global threat that is happening that could end all life on Earth, I'm going to do my job, which is to make sure that that doesn't happen somehow. Yeah. And we, we find also... out what her plan for that is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Protocol 5. Yep. Um... We also get, and I'm glad we're getting into this pretty much right away, uh, the immediate, oh no, Fabian Cortez being here is a really bad idea, and he is getting his hooks on Magneto again already, God damn it. Yes. Plotline? Yep. Um, we see him, like, supercharge Sunfire, and turn to Magneto and be like, do you remember me now? Magneto's like, yes, I do, in fact. And the 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 diplomacy head yes sees this is like okay no this is happening again gotta do something about this yeah and i, I the other thing i love is that the the head of the diploma has also brought pibok who is the kree scroll ambassador yes um to to here um because they can use all the help they can get and like is having to yeah this is not us at our best but you know yeah. this is us responding to a crisis um and uh, like I think we should point out what Protocol Five is at this point. Yes, and there's a like I was like Protocol Five. Why would uh, well first it was I wonder if it's Protocol V or Protocol Five. Yeah, because it's question. Roman numeral, right? And very clearly, then it is definitely Protocol Five because what she has tasked Mentallo to do is to essentially show up to the five, right? Who are the ones uh -huh. who resurrect all mutants and essentially uh, kidnap them. Yeah, and get take, them to safety. And take them off planet. Yeah, I, I love Mentallo's introduction in this. One, when he first shows up, it's in this, like, think-speak, you know, group chat. Yeah. Where all the department heads are weighing in, and he is sitting on the toilet as he is connecting everybody and giving his opinion. And he keeps being like, okay, if I'm going to do this, there's one thing I need. There's one thing I need. Or he keeps asking for the thing. Right. We learn what the thing is. It is his think tank. Yep. Um, just the most dysfunctional cast, and I love it. It's it is it is wonderful. Yeah. Then we move on to Marauders, uh, number <sighs> seventeen. This is written by Jerry Duggan, art by Matteo Lali, colors by Edgar Delgado, letters by Corey Pettit, and again, designer is Tom Muller. And, and again, insanely good book. Yeah, this is. In a lot of ways, a storm issue. 
Yeah, it is. It is about Storm and Callisto and Callisto wanting to go through, what is it called? The Gauntlet? The Crucible. The, the Crucible, thank yes. you, to get her powers back. Yes, and if you don't remember, the Crucible is something that Apocalypse set up that uh, mutants who lost their powers when Wanda did her thing um, can basically petition, and if they are selected, they could fight Apocalypse and in in this crucible, and he would kill them so that the five could resurrect them with their powers. Yeah. This is one of a pair of issues. Uh, the other was something just announced. Uh, back in our favorite issues of 2020, or favorite books of 2020 episode, we mentioned an issue of X-Men that still had some ideas that had not been totally fleshed out. Right. Fleshed out. This calls back to that. We also learned this week that we were going to get a new book from Cy Spurrier called Way of X. Yeah. That will will tie into that issue as well. Maybe or some uh, be born of that issue. Maybe as well. have some religious overtones. Well, it's Nightcrawler starting yeah. his religion yeah, that he he mentions his mutant religion. Uh, and what we find out is here, Callisto has tracked down Storm because now that Apocalypse is gone. You are supposed to bring your own uh, counterpart to the Crucible to to fight in, to and, end you. Yeah, yeah, to fight and kill you. Yes, and you know Storm is like I, I don't I don't begrudge anybody that wants to be you know I I don't think the Crucible is wrong. I just I don't I'm not part of it. I don't think yeah. that it's for me right to be part of it. So she apologizes and leaves, and so we see. Callisto, I want to follow this thread through real quick. We see Callisto sure. go, and um, basically Silver Samurai is is now kind of, I guess, the mediating, MC. right? Yeah. This, and, um, you know, says, well, if your person isn't here, then, you know, I offer my sword. If yeah. And Storm shows up. Yeah. A couple of other people, well, the... the Fenris twins. The, the, the racist Nazi children of... Yeah. Uh, who's their father? Uh, uh, oh Strucker. Uh, Strucker. Von Strucker. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. yes. They offer themselves. I imagine they offer themselves to anyone who walks in the door. Uh, to which I love Callisto's. She's like, if you people show up in here, I'll be in. I'll be in the abyss, not in. You know, I'll be locked away, not yeah. <laughs> resurrected. Yes. Um. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like I said, then Storm shows up yeah. and. And, you know, basically Storm does what she needs to for Callisto. And that yeah. I thought that was a beautiful scene. Yeah. Yeah. I like that Storm clearly does this and, like, let's just get this over with. Let's not draw it out. Right. Yeah. Let's do it as painlessly as possible. Yep. Yep. Uh, the, the kind of B-plot to this issue, which I do want to point out because I think this is clearly setting things up oh, that will be a big, big part of the future big time is i guess there are two other plots here that do that i'm talking about kate going to madripoor to thank the people who found and took care of lockheed lockheed uh i always want to call him lockjaw and then i remember nope that's big dog that uh yeah that's yeah. inhumans yeah um which leads to the hellfire trading company buying big chunks of real estate in Madripoor and Kate showing up to tell Verindi, hey, fuck you. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. 
Um, and then the the kind of the the other B plot in this is um, uh, Emma has bought this island, and what well, we find out has bought several islands around the world. Yeah. Um, mostly unbeknownst to the Quiet Council. Yes. And, and we had we had seen the structure on this island yeah. built in an earlier issue. Correct. Correct. And we find out that what she is doing is basically she's going to set this up as kind of corporate headquarters, kind of embassy. Yeah, like they're going to host a state dinner. Correct. Correct. And it also, like this was mentioned in passing, uh, I think on a text page, but this state dinner will be where the new X-Men roster is held. It, correct. Is announced. Yep. Um, and the it's interesting because the people that are being invited to this dinner are are indeed many of the people you would think you know uh, ambassadors and heads of states and those kind of things yeah. but also a lot of intelligence people from mm-hmm. intelligence agencies and then as we find out at the end um Kate has also gone to Madripoor to deliver an invitation to the Verindi yeah so it is clearly not just uh, um, a oh, let's invite our friends and have a party. Yeah, it is also very clearly a statement to others. There is one X Men book that has been announced. It was announced about a year ago, and then referenced in a couple of issues, but still has not been solicited. And I wonder if this is going to be the genesis of that book. Okay, the X Corp book. Yeah, could be with all the R and D folks and heads of state and public facing nature of of emma's machinations here and it being tied to the hellfire corporation right and there is kind of a passing note in here that the hellfire corporation is restructuring a little bit yes white and black are trading basically their yeah. responsibilities and and you really this really kind of leads into i think the idea of yes uh the hellfire trading club is a krakoan business but it is a business entity that is separate from the government. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's like, you know, Apple. Yes, Apple is a U.S. company, but it is not, you know, it, it is not beholden to the government and is not, you know, it, it does not just support their agendas and that's it. It's, right. It's it has its, own, its own agenda. Right. Yeah. Okay. Is it still good? Red Atlantis number three. Brian. Oh, uh, this is Stephanie Phillips. And uh, we find out a lot more about Miriam's family and they find out about her seven secrets number six this is the end of this book's first arc uh there's going to be a couple months break if you want to get caught up also every issue of this is going back to reprint um the seekers launched their attack on the stronghold that everyone moved into at the end of five and then the scope and scale of this book completely changes again. Jesus Christ. For a book about <laughs> secrets, this sure does have a lot of them. <laughs> does what it says on the tin. Commanders in Crisis, number four. Yeah, this is the this is only issue four, but it is the end of the first arc. Um, we kind of find out who our villains really are, and we get a big reveal about one of our main characters. Um, and, uh, yeah, it definitely sets up a bit of a cliffhanger, uh, crisis situation. Cool. Like it. Haha, ha, number one. 
Uh, this is written by W. Maxwell Prince. The artist for this issue is Vanessa Del Rey, although the book's concept is that each issue changes artist and works like an anthology story. Uh, colorist is by Chris O'Halloran, and letterer is Good Old Neon. Uh, I am not familiar with Good Old Neon, but I love the name. Uh, this is an anthology book about clowns. This issue follows a clown who works at a small carnival that is shutting down and letting everyone go. His family life is unhappy. It's the same sort of existential dread as Ice Cream Man. And then as he goes to the bank to deposit his last check, he's shot in the head by robbers. Oops. After one of his work friends tries to mug him. And... The whole time he's like, it could be worse, it could be worse, it could be worse. Um, and then he gets a new outlook on life, let's say. The Immortal Hulk, number 42. Uh, this issue has a lot of moving parts. We see, uh, we see Gyric, uh, really starting to take a firm hold on Gamma Flight, which leads to his having to bring in a new team. As... One of this book's characters learns that they may have their own gamma powers. All right. The autumnal number four. We learn the secret history of Clementine Biddle. Heavy number four wraps up the book's first arc. And we learn two things. One, the present is not the present. Two, what happens if you set off what uh, basically becomes an atomic bomb in heaven? Or Purgatory, at least. Uh, Both excellent books, Autumnal and Heavy. Okay. This week's books. Uh, once again, we will start with a, fu a full future state rundown. Catwoman number one by Rom V and Otto Schmidt uh, comes out this week, as well as Immortal Wonder Woman number one, with a main feature by Becky Cloonan, Michael Conrad, and Jin Bartel, and a backup following Nubia. From L.L. McKinney, Aletha Martinez, and Mark Morales. We get Nightwing number one from Andrew Constant and Nicholas Scott. As well as Shazam number one by Tim Sheridan and Eduardo Pansica. We get Superman Worlds at War number one with a main feature by Philip Kennedy Johnson and Mikkel Hanin. A Midnighter story from Becky Cloonan, Michael Conrad, and Gleb Melnikov. A Black Racer story from Brandon Easton and Saya Oum. And a Mr. Miracle story from Brandon Easton and Valentin Delandro. If you're paying attention at home, that Mr. Miracle story picks up from Superman of Metropolis two weeks ago. And then finally, the second issue of The Next Batman, with a main story from John Ridley and Laura Braga, a Batgirl story from Vita Ayala and Aneke, and Gotham City Sirens from Paula Sevenbergen and Emanuela Lupacino. Brian! Yes, sir. Tell me about Crimson Flowers, number one. Um, this is a new book from Dark Horse by Matt Kent. And um, turns out that the Russian government is trying to weaponize Russian folk tales to create assassins. Very cool. Yes. Uh, then over at Boom, we have Abbott 1973, number one of six. This is... From Saladin Ahmed, Sami Cavella, Matea Iacono, and Jim Campbell. This is the second book of uh, Saladin Ahmed's Abbott series. Uh, this follows a journalist turned supernatural investigator, uh, Elena Abbott, 
as she sort of comes to term with her role in the super-powered stuff going on in Detroit. Anything else from you, Brian? I don't think so, sir. In that case, we would like to thank Chase Parker for our intro voiceover. You can visit us at panelologypodcast.com, support us at patreon.com slash panelology, get merch at bit.ly slash panelologymerch, capital P, capital M, or send us questions and comments at bit.ly slash panelologymailbag, capital P, capital M. I'm Alex. And I am Brian. Go read all those comics. 